0: Welcome to The Storytellers, the radio show and podcast that features those who choose to leave their mark on the world through the art of story. I'm your host, Grace Salmon. I look forward to our time together today. Now, let's meet our storyteller. Linda Uluset is an MFA writer. She has that degree from Lindenwood University. She is a member of the Hawaii Writers Guild, the Women Writing in the West, and Paper Lantern Writers. Linda is an award-winning author of two novels, Under the Almond Trees and The Aloha Spirit. Her books are stories about amazing unsung women within her own family, their historical fiction. And she's just retired recently from being an elementary school teacher. And I couldn't be more excited to have Linda as a storyteller's microphone today.
1: glad to be here, Grace.
0: So tell me about the journey from elementary school teacher to storyteller.
1: Well, I've always been a writer. I've always loved to write. Somewhere I have a little book uh, with something that looks like a pig with a curly tail. I think I wrote in the third grade. So I've always been a writer. Um, but in sixth grade, when I taught sixth grade, I asked my students to do a lot of writing. And so I'm, I was thinking, you know, I asked them to write and do their best and finish a story. Maybe I should be an example. And so I did, I finished a book that i have been working on for like seven years. And it was interesting because that the first one was a young adult novel. And I read a lot of it out loud to them and they really enjoyed kind of, giving their feedback while I was writing it so that's you know that's kind of when I decided to be a serious author it was in the last like five years of my career
0: <laughs> So they were actually like beta readers for you mm-hmm. they...
1: yes and I could read it as I'm reading out loud and they start shuffling and doing something else you know then I, okay I've lost on my mark that <laughs> <You know? laughs> was it was kind of fun doing it that way
0: <laughs> So talk to me a little bit about the concept of who these women are in your stories. So
1: after I got away from the young adult writing and I decided to write historical fiction, because when I was a child, my grandmother told me stories about these wonderful women that I'm related to. Uh, And, you know, of course, as a child, I was like, oh, yeah, right. okay, whatever. But as I got older, once I could no longer ask my grandmother the the details, um, I became fascinated by them and I decided that their stories needed to be told. So that's where the gem of the ideas come from. But I have to research so much and I don't have enough information to write biographies about them. So I end up writing historical fiction, allows me to fill in some of the details with fiction.
0: I love the impetus for your writing, because, as you know, in my own novel, Mm -hmm. it's really about the idea of when our stories are told, everything Mm -hmm. changes. And we get, you and I are at that period in our own lives now where we can't reach back and ask the questions. And maybe our children aren't that interested in our stories right
1: <laughs> Exactly. Now, I'm like, you have to learn this. <laughs> so if I write the story, then someday they'll be willing to look back and, you know, and like, read it, you know, learn the stories of their ancestors. So why is that important to you, though? Well, it's not it's not legacy. And the new book I have coming out next year is, again, a legacy issue. If you learn that your women in your family were very strong and they didn't do anything special, they weren't the first at something or they weren't the best at something or they weren't lauded for, you know, something in their career. They were just normal, everyday women who made it through life doing normal everyday things with strength and grace, then that is what you want to leave to your children. You want them to be inspired by that and not just have to be inspired by somebody who was the top in their field. If somebody was like second or third, they can be just as inspiring. Or if they stayed home and cooked dinner every night for 20 years for a big family, that can be inspiring. And I think it's important not to lose sight of that
0: oh i agree with you that's really beautifully said one of the things i like about your the two books the aloha spirit which we'll talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about Mm -hmm. and under the almond trees but i also want to talk about what's coming so let's talk about those because it's all so exciting so (laughs) what i think you do extraordinarily well are two things First of all, you have me at hello. Your opening sentences are very, very strong. In the story of Aloha Spirit, where you say Dolores's father decides that at the age of seven, she's basically useless. You say that better than I said it. And and then in the other story, the, Under the almond Tree with Ellen, you say she has her first act of defiance Right in the first sentence. So not only that tells me she is, you know, here she is, she's being strong, but this is gonna be a pattern. How, How do you, twofold question, how do you get that first sentence so captivating? I've always
1: been fascinated by first sentences and I actually have a panel discussion for conventions that I do on first sentences because a first sentence is not necessarily going to make or break your novel, but the fact that you remembered My two first sentences that's really important and there are some really good ones out there really good examples of first sentences and it's really hard because there's like not a pattern to to writing a first sentence it's just when you write it when you have it you know that's it that's the first sentence so oh i want more there (laughs) there's there's no trick to a magic there's no trick no You, you have to be careful not to add too much into it you don't want one of those first sentences that goes on for half a page you want there to be action. You want something to be reflected in your character. My books are pretty much character driven. So I want to introduce that character right away. Um, I don't want to have something about setting. You know, you don't want to talk about the sun rising over the field. You know, people are asleep before they finish the first sentence. So um, it, it has to be something that's very important to the story. So in mine, I, I try to give you something about the character of the, the person who's going to be telling the story, something about her character.
0: Well, and that's the second piece. So I'm glad I feel so smart because the second piece of what I loved about both of those books is I immediately cared about the character. Mm-hmm. That's good. And, and and that was very powerful just mm-hmm. to say, I really care about this little girl. And mm-hmm. You do a very good job, I think, of explaining those worlds. So tell us a little bit about both of those works, but particularly Aloha Spirit, because I loved learning things in that book.
1: <laughs> well, the Aloha Spirit is inspired by my husband's grandmother, and that's what we say now. It's not about her because it's fictionalized. I say it's inspired by her. That gives me some leeway. Once you say inspired by you, suddenly you're okay. It's okay to fictionalize stuff. If you say okay. it's about her, you feel like, oh, I better research that and see what she was doing on May 10th, 1922, because you know, it's about her. But um, she was uh, a woman who, from the time I met my husband, she was warm, welcoming. She, If I showed up at her doorstep with 10 people, she'd invite us in to dinner. And she just was the most amazing woman good sense of humor, always positive and upbeat, never had anything bad to say. And as I got to know her and I learned that she had a really tough childhood, her mother died when she was young. Her father left her. Um, She married young, basically to get out of the situation she was in with a family that worked her too hard. Um, So by 19, she had several children and she was married to an alcoholic who abused her. It's like, wow, then how did you go from that to the woman that I knew? And so I started writing it as an exploration of how that could happen. And I decided, you know, my eminent power of the author, I decided to that it was the Aloha Spirit. She didn't have anybody to use as a role model, but the whole spirit of aloha in Hawaii, and if you've ever been there, you know that the people in Hawaii are very welcoming and warm and outgoing. And that's kind of the spirit of aloha, where you kind of envelop people and nature and everything. And I thought, you know, that must have been what it was that uh, kind of drove her as a person. And also, she wanted to be a role model for
0: her daughters. So that's what I took from that. One of the things that I love about historical, well, Mm -hmm. any writing and reading that I do is I love when I learned things. But (laughs) historical fiction up until recently was always my go-to. Now I read across multiple genres. Mm -hmm. So let's stay there for a minute. Why Mm -hmm. historical fiction for you? I know the impetus (laughs) are these women in your family, but Mm -hmm. why is historical fiction important? Well, as
1: I started researching these women, because they're you know, when, you, when you're talking about history and, and people that, you know, their names on a paper, you know, when they were born, you know, when they died and you don't know their stories. Like if you look at your family tree or something, you go back and you say, oh, I'm related to a person named whatever, but it's not interesting necessarily because you don't know anything about them. But I knew about them. My grandmother had told me these stories. So when she told me that her grandmother had sued the County of Santa Cruz, California for the right to vote in 1872, I thought, wow, that, that's interesting. Why would she do that? And so I went in and I researched it and I found out that her her husband was killed. Uh, he he had a, a paper mill in San Lorenzo. And so he was killed by a falling branch when they were cutting down the tree to make the paper. Well, she was pregnant with their third child and she took over his business. I'm like, well, that's even more interesting than suing for the right to vote. So as you start digging, you see that this is Happening in in that time frame, that was really ins- extraordinary for her to do that. So, what I normally do is I, I look at the the people in my family first, and I find the stories of them, find out about the people, and then I kind of match it to world events, because that's to me what, what kind of grounds the story in history is to find out what was going on in the world that might have um, informed their worldview, right? So that's what
0: makes it even more interesting to me, and relevant. How do you how do you do your research? Is it an Ancestry.com start? Or? That's where I start. Yes, is where I start. Really? Um, as a
1: matter of fact, um, Ant, when Ancestry was doing a, an anniversary of the women's vote, they featured my great-grandmother in a story because I had I'd sent in a little video saying, hey, she sued to vote in 1872. They liked that so much that they featured it in their one of their videos uh, promoting Ancestry for that uh, event when it was the 100th anniversary of the vote. Passing, but yeah, I start with ancestry. That's where I find the names, and then you look at, um, for example, in the Aloha Spirit, my husband's grandmother left uh, Pearl Harbor in 1942, June of 1942, and I, that's all I knew. I'm like, I look at him. Like, well, 1942. Well, Pearl Harbor was bombed in December of 41, so obviously it has something to do with that. And so as I researched it, I talked to family members and I looked at it, she, it. That's how long it took her to get out. And she left with her daughter. She left her husband and zigzagged across the Pacific Ocean to get to California. And I was lucky enough to be able to interview my mother-in-law before she passed away. She was 10 years old and she told me about that voyage and what that was like for, for her from her 10-year-old eyes, which is very cool. <laughs>
0: This is just a fascinating interview for me. I love learning more about your story, Linda, but also it really brings those people to life, mm-hmm. you know, in, in such beautiful ways. And I hope that your family begins to appreciate this as, as they get older as well. The other thing that I love about historical fiction is what I learn in terms of factoids, for example. I really thought aloha just meant hello, goodbye, welcome. Yes. I love What the aloha spirit means, Um, you can probably, I I took notes, but you could probably tell us the more encompassing Mm -hmm. part of that. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's no real definition, but what struck me at first is that aloha is the law in Hawaii. It is the law. You have to exhibit the aloha spirit in Hawaii. It's a law. It's still on the books. That fascinated me. But basically, it's a respect uh, uh, for all living things. You learn about living things and you appreciate and respect all living things, whether it's the animals or the the nature, the palm trees, the wind, the trade winds, whatever, or the people. And it's not always easy to appreciate the people around you. But that is um, truly, if somebody who truly has the aloha spirit, which is something that this grandmother did, um, she really welcomed everybody into her home. Everybody was ohana. Everybody
0: was family. So that was uh, very cool. I love what I took notes on was that it is a, Aloha is a coordination of mind and heart and spirit Mm -hmm. with kindness and humanity and patience. Mm -hmm. And I thought we should all go under that law. Exactly, I mean, that's the goal for
1: everybody, right? Not everybody makes it. Certainly you don't make it every, you have times when you make it and times when you don't, right? But that's that's certainly an excellent goal for people to strive toward for sure.
0: How much of that did you have to learn in your research?
1: Um, A lot of it. And a lot of it I put together basically from researching Aloha, talking to, because we still have quite a bit of family that lives there, and um, talking to people about the family. And even when they're talking about the family, they have such a fond, you know, I have a lot of things in my own family. You don't necessarily talk about fondly, right? (laughs) But they talk about their ancestors with such respect and such reverence. And that uh, impressed me. In fact, we were at the, in Hawaii, in Honolulu, at a family reunion in 2019, February, right before the shutdown. And I told them, so I like have this book, it was 2020. I have this book coming out in August of this year. And it's about the family. And, you know, I haven't been here and met you guys yet. So I want you to read it with a grain of salt. I was really nervous, right? Uh (laughs) So they did, they read it and liked it. So that was good. And my, one of my husband's aunts, who is a character in the book, said she was in tears when she was reading it because it's like her story you know and she so that was good
0: <laughs> don't you love making your characters cry and then your oh, yeah, readers absolutely. cry <laughs> she's crying great. about herself that's great <laughs> that's wonderful so the aloha spirit now what's next the next one is called the river remembers
1: and it'll come out in june of 2023 from she writes press Um, it's still very early, but the book is finished. It's about an ancestor of mine that was born at Fort Snelling in Minnesota in 1835. And initially I was intrigued because I thought that seems really early for a woman to be at the fort having babies. Because I'm thinking, well, you know, that's early, that's pioneer times, that's where the guys were there doing their thing, Mm -hmm. their trapping and their soldiers and whatever, right? But when I researched it at that time, Fort Snelling was kind of the hub of the entire pioneer you know, everything that was going west that was north in the northern part of the, sta- of the country went through Fort Selling. So you had people there. Um, Zachary Taylor was there. Uh, Jefferson Davis was there. Um, Harriet Robinson married Dred Scott at the fort in 1836. Abraham Lincoln circled through there about that time. Will Clark of Lewis and Clark was there. Eliza Hamilton circled through there she, in 1837. I have this long list of really big names. Um, the guy whose family ended up founding Eastman Kodak was there. I mean, <laughs> and I'm like, I can't, this is the bad part about historical fiction. You can't put all of that in the book, right? Because at the time, they were just a bunch of people hanging out at the fort. They weren't anybody special. You know? <laughs> so yeah, it, it was, it's it very interesting to, um, to research all that and decide what can I work into my story that makes sense as a story rather than just name dropping so, what I did was, I have three women in this story. One is my ancestor. She's a white settler. And then I wrote a section of the story from the point of view of Harriet Robinson as a black slave in a free territory. And then the third one is from a uh, Dakota chief's daughter who was married to the Indian agent and had a half breed daughter. So, those are the three women that are the point of view
0: characters in my story. So, <laughs> I, I can't wait till it comes out. Maybe there's an arc that would be available. <laughs> yeah, this not happens. yet. <laughs> there will be. I'll, I'll send you one for sure. <laughs> oh, thank you. Do um, You have just like a whole list now. You, you go down that rabbit hole of ancestry and you have a mm-hmm. question. Well, and so you're never going to run out of material.
1: Oh, no. I, it'll be a while. My husband wants me to write about his other grandmother who uh, was, she and her family went to Germany to visit relatives, that relative was sick. And so they went to Germany to visit. The problem was it was 1939 and she was Jewish. (laughs) So it's like, okay, you should have known. It was like September of 39. It's like, you should have known. But they went over there and she ended up getting arrested. And so was her son. My father-in-law was arrested and put into a camp. And she survived by interpreting for the Nazis because she knew English as well as German. And he escaped. So that's a story that my my husband really wants me to write. You know, Maybe that's next.
0: I don't know. <laughs> what an amazing storyteller. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your Facebook group. Okay. I am one of the founding members
1: of Sh- uh, Paper Lantern Writers. We are a collective of authors of historical fiction. Uh, basically, we get together to help each other market our books. And one of the ways we do that is on a Facebook group called Shine with Paper Lantern Writers. Uh, And we basically hook up readers and writers of historical fiction. We're very active. We do interviews. We have an interview coming up next week with Sarah Ackerman on our live. We've done Lisa C. and uh, Vanessa Riley. And some. we try to do a lot of uh, subgenres, like we've done romance, mystery, uh, all historical fiction, but also with the subgenre of romance or mystery or or, um, whatever, Uh, crime fiction, other things. So it's, a, it's definitely a place, if you're interested in historical fiction, to
0: check out authors and readers. I agree. And talk about the importance of the author community to well, your work.
1: Yes. Authors are very solitary people. You go in a room and you write by yourself. And you have to have it in, involve people when you're editing and critiquing your book, of course. But when that book is published, It goes out into the world and it just sits there. It doesn't make much of a ripple. It's up to the author to make it ripple, right? You have to tell people your book is out there. Nobody's going to buy it until they know it's out there. So you have to do whatever you can to make that happen. And as one person, you feel like you're swimming against the tide all the time. But we are currently in Paperland and Writers, we are currently nine people. And we all have our own social media accounts and our own things going on, organizations that we belong to. Plus, as Paper Lantern writers, we uh, go to conferences, we do panels, we uh, have our social media groups and such. We have a YouTube channel, we have a website, we do blogs twice a week. So there's a lot of things that we do together. And it's kind of nice for me because I don't do Twitter. Paperland and Writers does. So my books have a a place on Twitter and I don't have to do anything
0: for it, which is perfect for me. (laughs) I am astonished. I would say that, you know, I've written four books and my last book is the novel. Mm -hmm. And I am blown away by, if it wasn't for the author community, so little of what I do would happen, Uh, both in terms of queries of, I'm wrestling with this, who can I get a resource from? But just the the way we promote, because not only I think are we solitary, Linda, we really like to keep our light under a bushel. You know, we're just like, oh, somebody else will do Twitter. I don't have to do Twitter. Right? Yeah, it's
1: true, <laughs> it's true. Because uh, what I always like to tell people when they say, oh, I don't wanna do social media. I'm like, it's not doing social media. You are out to make relationships with people because, Pitching your book on social media is not going to sell anything. What's going to sell is if you're in a group on Facebook, and we have uh, almost 900 people now in our group, and if you're in a group and you're talking to these 900 people and they're involved and they're engaged and they see you know quotes from your book and they see your cover reveal and they follow you through your journey while you're public, they're going to buy your book because they're your friend, right? They know you. Um, we just finished doing a book festival, Paper Lantern Writers, as a group first thing we've been able to do in person uh, in Berkeley this past weekend and we actually had a couple of members of Shine show up and come and find us to see us in person so that was we accused them and wanted to come see our legs because they always, always
0: <laughs> I know that it's it's a rude awakening now that we're moving out of just zoom I just hate what people think that I look like from here down <laughs> Linda, I can't believe our time went so quickly today. <laughs> I hope you'll send me an ARC. I hope that I you'll will. come back when your next book comes out. Meanwhile, how to. should everybody find you?
1: Uh, the best way to find me is either at ulisite.com or at paperlanternwriters.org.
0: <laughs> and for two amazing reads, I recommend both of your books. Thanks for being with me today. Thank you, Grace. This has been a copyrighted episode of The Storytellers by Grace Salmon and Authors on the Air, Global Radio Network. Thanks for being with me. That concludes this episode of The Storytellers. I'm so glad you could be part of the story today. I hope you share the stories, tell your own, and come back for another episode. Because when our stories are told, everything changes. I'm Grace Salmon.